Hey you, welcome back to Anointed Fire. My name is Tiffany Buck and I'm about to give a free couples counseling session. And this is advice. These are instructions that I have given couples that I've spoken with, you know, that were having trouble in their relationships. I do believe that this is going to help somebody. So listen, even if you don't feel like this is for you, share it with somebody that you know that it can be beneficial to. Also, let me give a FYI. Um, I'm about to clean out my washroom i don't have to do much of anything in here because it's pretty much already cleaned out just stuff that's on top of the dryer because the people are coming out to deliver my new washing machine and dryer and i have to have this space cleaned out so any background noise i want to apologize in advance i will keep it at a minimum but that's neither here nor there just enjoy this teaching so in this particular lesson i'm going to create two characters the first character we're going to call him we're going to call him Bell. We're going to call... No, we're going to call him Ring. We'll call the guy Ring. We'll call the woman Bell. We'll call the guy Ring. We'll call the woman Bell. Now, Bell goes out and... Well, no, Ring. Ring goes out and he robs a bank. Now, Bell and Ring are married. Bell goes out. He robs a bank. He doesn't come home till late that night. Now, his wife doesn't know that he's a bank robber. She doesn't know anything about his other lifestyle. The only thing that she knows is that Ring has a tendency to go out and stay out late. He comes up with money and she doesn't know where he got it from. He doesn't want to explain anything. Um, they're not always getting along. As a matter of fact, they rarely do get along. Or what have you, because she feels like, hey, I tell him everything. I'm open with him. He's very close. He comes home when he wants to. It doesn't matter how much arguing I do. No matter what I say, he's going to do what he wants to do regardless of what happens. So they've had this really, really contentious relationship. So one day, Ring goes out there. He robs another bank. He comes home at 3 in the morning. Bell says, hey, I'm tired of this. Where have you been? What's her name? He doesn't say anything. He says, I'm a grown man. I can do whatever I want. I can come home whenever I want. Stop questioning me. If you got a problem with it, you either deal with it or leave. Belle stands there. Belle begins to curse. She begins to weep. She goes through all of these different emotions and Ring is not moved. Ring continues uh, to just lay down in the bed as if nothing had ever happened. So Belle sits there. She said, you are a pathetic piece of mess. You're just like your weak mama and your sorry daddy. You ain't going to be nothing. You ain't never been nothing. You'll never be anything. You're a waste of skin and teeth. She begins to berate him. He's used to it. You know, because whenever Belle gets angry, Belle lets loose. Belle has no filter. She's going to say whatever thought comes to her mind. And this time is no different. So Belle sits there and she... You know, some people will say rips him a new one, but you know what? He's used to having a new one. So he doesn't move. He actually starts snoring in the middle of her, cursing him out and talking about him or what have you. He starts snoring. This infuriates her all the more because she's trying to convey to him that, hey, your behavior is problematic. So Belle, in her anger, decides, you know what? I'm not reaching him with cursing him out. I'm not reaching him with tearing him down. I'm not reaching him with berating him. I'm not reaching him that way. So why don't I try to set his clothes on fire? I'm going to get all of his stuff. 
I'm going to take it outside and I'm going to set it, set it ablaze. She goes out. She sets his clothes on fire. He wakes up the next morning to discover that he doesn't have anything besides the underwear that he had on. He laughs, walks out the door with nothing but underwear on, and he says, see you later. He goes out. He doesn't come home again. He doesn't come home till the next day. When he comes home, he has a suitcase with a bunch of brand new clothes. He has bags of new clothes for himself. Oh, what have you? Bell says, where have you been, Ring? I'm tired of this. Every time I look up, you're walking out that door. You, 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 you're nothing but trash. You're nothing but anybody. Whoever this woman is you messing with, I know that she's got to be just as stupid as you are. Or is it even a woman in the first place? You know, so she continues to berate her husband. Nevertheless, he laughs about it. And he comes in the house. He begins to unpack his clothes. He looks at her. He says, hey, let me give you a fair warning. If you set these clothes on fire, if you touch these clothes, I'm letting you know that I'm going to get violent. I'm just letting you know off the bat. And I will bail out the next day. And the judge won't convict me because I got it like that. So I'm just warning you. If you set these clothes on fire, I can afford to go get new clothes. I'll go get me some new ones. And I'm going to whoop your tail. Not only am I going to whoop you, I'm going to put you out of this house. You won't have anywhere to stay. You're going to go back to your father's house and you're going to have to deal with the dysfunction over there. Do I make myself clear? Belle doesn't want to hear that. Belle goes up all the more. She says, how dare you uh, speak to me like that? How dare you? So Belle, she goes on TikTok. No, yeah, Belle. Excuse me. She goes on TikTok and she says, I have a story time for you guys. And she said, you know, I just... I'm not here looking for sympathy. I'm not here looking for instructions or answers. I just need to talk to somebody because I literally have nobody to talk to. I've been with this guy, Ring, for three years now. We've been married for two. Ring is emotionally abusive. Just recently, he threatened to physically assault me. He's been coming home at 3, 4, 5 in the morning. Sometimes he doesn't bother coming home at all. When I, say, when I say anything to him about his behavior, he simply goes to bed. He laughs at me. He scorns me. He ridicules me. And I know some of you will ask, well, why would you stay in a situation like that? Why don't you get up and leave? Well, you have to understand, I come from an abusive home. My dad was a drug addict who physically, emotionally, and mentally assaulted me all of my life. My mother died when I was four years old. The rest of my family, I don't know because my father isolated me from them because he is a bona fide narcissist. I've tried to reach out to extended family members. They want nothing to do with me. I have siblings that my dad had with other women. They want nothing to do with me because you know what? My dad and his, his narcissism, he's went and he spread all of these lies about me. So I don't have anywhere to go. I have had to rely on ring all of these years and quite frankly i'm at this space where i don't know what to do um i'm wondering if life is even worth living anymore like i said i'm not asking for anything i'm not asking for any advice i'm not asking for your sympathy i'm just simply venting people come across the TikTok, and they're like sending prayers to you some people talking about that love and light witchcraft foolishness People are sitting back and they're talking about, hey, you need to get out of the relationship. The thing goes viral. 
Oh, what happened? Belle goes back to TikTok. She says, thank you guys for the love and support. You know, um, and I did, I did receive you guys cash apps. Uh, thank you guys for that. I've never had people to show their support uh, towards me. I woke up this morning uh, to 10,000 new followers. So, oh my gosh, thank you so much for that. Just wanted to say that I am going to take those cash apps and I am going to put that money up. He doesn't know anything that I'm doing. So I'm going to put that money aside. And um, once I have enough, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and leave ring. I'm going to leave ring. She says, I'm going to use that money to go buy me some clothes so that I can go job hunting. And I'm going to leave ring. So people are cheering her on. She, in the span of a week, gets 25,000 new followers. Everybody's coming along to her aid. Everybody's, you know, wanting to be supportive and all that. Um, we are just showing humanity, trying to show uh, love or what have you. Long story short, she comes back about a week later. She says, hey, guys, I don't want you to think the worst of me. As a matter of fact, matter, matter of fact, I'm probably going to delete my TikTok after this. I'm really frustrated. I don't know what to do at this point. So, you know, the $750 in donations you guys had given me, I did. I got receipts right here. She starts inserting screenshots of receipts and what have you. I went and I bought me this whole new wardrobe. I bought all of this stuff for myself. I was really excited about this whole new wardrobe I bought for myself or what have you. And I was going to go job hunting. And he knew it. So, my husband, yesterday he found the receipts. He asked me where those clothes, first he saw the clothes coming in. I told him that somebody had donated them to me from my church. And, you know, he believed me um, or what have you. But the thing that he was questioning was the fact that they all look new. Now, mind you, I took the receipts off before I got home because I didn't want him to know they were new clothes. That was the thing he commented was that everything looked new. Well, he found the receipts and yes, it was stupid. I regret it. I held on to those receipts just in case I needed to take anything back. So he found the receipts and he realized that I had gotten some money from somewhere and he got my clothes and he set them on fire. He burned everything. I don't want any more money. I'm not here asking for any more money. I'm not here asking for sympathy. I'm not here asking for anything but prayers. Just keep me in your prayers. Meanwhile, her husband, he's, he's questioning. He says, you know, um, when he comes home that day, he says, I want to know who this guy is that you were, you're sleeping with. Because you all of a sudden show up with $750 worth of new clothes. You, you, you suddenly show up and now you're getting your hair done. You know, things are changing. All of a sudden, you seem to have this newfound confidence. Um, so I want to know who this guy is. I want to know uh, how you met him. Just tell me. I'm not asking much of anything. Just tell me that. I'm not asking. So the two of them get into a fight and Ring physically assaults Bell. When he physically assaults Bell, he's arrested. He's taken to jail. He is locked up for a total of... Uh, three days before he finally makes bail. He's only locked up for three days because he got arrested on a Friday. 
and the judge didn't come in until uh, Tuesday. So he ends up being in jail over the weekend or what have you. When he makes bail, his wife is still at home. And matter of fact, she did what he instructed her to do. He told her, hey, come Tuesday, I need you to be the first. I need you to be at the courthouse to bail me out. Mind you, Bell is keeping her TikTok audience abreast of everything that's happening in her home. She says, guys, I know that this is going to sound stupid, but I have to bail him out. Because if he's not working, I have no money. Now, I understand and I hope that this is a wake-up call for him. Sorry, guys. I hope that this is a wake-up call for him. But I have to bail him out because I, I literally, I don't have any, I don't have anything, um, any, I don't have any way to pay the bills. I don't have any way. And so people are saying on a TikTok, you know, she has some unfollowers and people are getting frustrated with the situation. Some people are way too invested. She ends up getting more followers and somebody posts in a comment section. They say, hey, why don't we all get together and see if we can come up with the money so that she can leave and she can start her life you know potentially get enough money for her to have at least six months of rent maybe a year a year would be better but let's see if we can get enough money for her to you know have six months of rent and you know potentially restart her life oh what have you. she doesn't say anything because she does she likes to comment but she doesn't say anything because she doesn't want to instigate anything she doesn't want anybody saying anything about her long story short ultimately her husband comes out of jail when he comes out of jail the two make sweet love you know he talks about how much he cares about her she talks about how much she cares about him and the two reconcile momentarily yet she continues to update her facebook audience she says you know um he came home and, you know I, i'm we're trying to be cordial um, I know um, that I have to leave him. I'm not letting him know. I'm not telling him like I'm not acting like I'm angry towards him because I don't want him to get caught up in a rage again. Because like he said, the judge kind of favored him, even though the judge, you know, did set a bail for him. Um, it was clear that, you know, him and the judge had some type of rapport. And um, yeah, so the judge set the bail for him and the judge was kind of you know, snippy towards me. So, um, guys, the best thing for me to do is to get out of this situation. Um, and just so you know, I did get the new cash apps. I did manage to go buy me some new clothes. I can't store them at my dad's house cause he's a crackhead and he'd sell them. Um, so I got the clothes and I hid them, uh, in my backyard, we have a shed and there are a lot of boxes in there with junk in it. So what I did was I went into the boxes and I put some of my clothes up in there so he's never going to find him because he never goes through those boxes. I've been telling him to go in there and clean those boxes out for um, for a couple of years now or what have you. So um, he doesn't go anywhere near them. So what I do is I'll occasionally bring it back up. I'll say, hey, when are you going to go do something about those boxes to kind of make him feel like, you know, there's nothing in there. And so that's where we are. One night and this is the end of it. I'm just continuing the story and this is not an actual story guys i'm making this up as we go but there's a lesson in this so one particular night ring goes out again he goes 
he robs another bank. Now, the banks don't, the, the authorities don't know it's him because he, he's always well disguised and he always wears gloves and everything. And at the same time, he never drives the vehicle that he has at home. His wife doesn't know about his other lifestyle. He parks his other vehicle at his other girlfriend's house. His wife doesn't know anything about his lifestyle. She doesn't know. So he, he utilizes, you know, he has three vehicles. His wife only knows about one of his vehicles, right? Let me ask you a question. Now, let, let, let's go back into the story. He goes out again and he robs another bank. He robs another bank. Sorry, I am spraying bleach up in here, guys, trying to get this thing ready. But he robs another bank. He comes home late. His wife says, hey. I know now not to ask you where you've been because you're not going to give an answer. You're probably just going to laugh. Um, anything I say, you're not going to do anything. So I just want to let you know that um, you're so pathetic. And that's the reason why you do this dumb stuff that you do. You are a pathetic race of skin and teeth. And I can't stand you. And if, the only reason I'm with you is because I can't. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get the money to leave you. If I get the money to leave you, don't worry. You can go be with your girlfriend full time. And I'm confident. Give her two to three years. She will follow suit. Anybody, nobody will ever want to be with you because you are weird. You are a mess of a human being. You are the, emb the embodiment of the enemy. Uh, who would even want to be with you? So I got a question to ask you in this, in this particular situation. Who's the villain in this relationship? I'm asking this as a really serious question. Now, there are some feminists that out there that will say, oh, dang, obviously he's the villain. Yeah, she may have a sharp tongue, but at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, he the reason that she talked to him like that. Shoot, that's how these men are. No, what if I told you that when their relationship started off, Belle was being very uh, manipulative toward her husband. She seduced him. She did a lot of things. And then once they got married, that's when she started unleashing her tongue. That's when she started unleashing her tongue. Now, am I giving him a ticket or a justification? No. This is what I want to introduce you to, is this concept that a lot of people don't understand. There is a such thing as a villain-on-villain relationship, meaning both parties involved are villains. There is no hero to come into that relationship outside of Christ and neither one of them want Christ. There is no good person in that relationship. There's one who happens to be better than the other one. Now you can look at uh, Belle and you say Belle is the, the better one in that relationship. And this is what America does. This is what the Western world does is we find the lesser of two evils and we celebrate that person. We defend that person. We'll go to war for that person. We'll fight for that person not realizing that if you see two gorillas fighting in the wild, you don't jump in the fight. Those are two wild animals. You just look. And of course, you know, if you happen to be an animal lover like me, you want them to leave each other alone and go on about their merry little lives. You go over in that corner. You live in the east. You live in the west. You can start screaming west side from over there. You can scream east side from over there. And y'all just kind of draw a boundary and you don't cross the boundaries. Right. But that's not real reality in the wild. 
you know, in the wild, there is a lot of territorialism. And so that's the thing when it comes to wild relationships. One of the things that you have to learn is that every relationship is not composed of or every bad or toxic relationship is not composed of a victim and a villain. You have both people who are being victimized and villainized by one another. There are relationships, believe it or not, where two narcissists are together. There are relationships where you will find a narcissist with a narcissist, a covert narcissist with an overt narcissist. And you know what? We as a people have a tendency to defend the covert because they're passive, because they're quiet, because they have baby faces and they look innocent and they have soft voices. Or a lot of times when they're females, we have a tendency to defend them because you know what? He must have made her like that. He must have made her like that. Over the course of my life, I remember being a young lady and I had to learn some very, very hard and valuable lessons. Had people in my life with innocent faces, baby faces that I defended. I'm talking about I defended to the point where I was ready to fight on their behalves, right? I believed them and I didn't believe the crowd. I'm not talking about men. I'm talking about females that I had around me. I'm talking about women that I had around me that I was ready to go to warfare. Women that I'm just like, girl, they just jealous of you, girl, this and that. And I would watch those women play this little game and cry. And that's why I love me so, me so you, Tiffany. You understand me so much. The whole time they were playing me and they were playing the world. The whole time they were playing me. And in other cases, other people have found them out. I didn't. I hadn't at that time. I hadn't found them out. Because in my mind, a woman that soft-spoken, that nice, that meek, that mild-mannered, that beautiful, she had no reason to lie. She had no reason. And in my mind, I bought into the lie that, you know what? It's because you're pretty and they're hating on you. It's because now, granted, there are people that get hate just because they're beautiful. I'm not talking about those type of women or what have you. I'm talking about in reality, Sometimes demons choose the prettiest outfits to wear. I mean that to say that sometimes demons favor beautiful people, women and men, because people are attracted to their flesh and it is hard. And the scientist has proved this. It is hard for people. Uh, the world of psychology has proved this. Excuse me. It is hard for people to conceptualize that a beautiful person can be a villain. This is why Satan loves to find um, people. You have a, a beautiful child, little girl who's going to grow up to be beautiful. Trust me, the enemy sees that. The Bible proves that in the book of Genesis when the, the demons were looking at the, 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 the daughters of men uh, and saw that they were fair and they took wives for themselves. That means, you know what? Demons recognize beauty. Now, do, let me ask you a question. Do you think that demons were looking at these women and thinking... Oh, dang, she fine. Man, I want to get with her. I want to give you a revelation. Demons are not wrapped in flesh. They couldn't care less about flesh. Do you want to know why they looked upon the sons, of, the daughters of men, saw that they were beautiful and took wives to themselves? Because they knew the power of beauty. They knew that if I get with this one or I marry that one, there is power there because people are attracted to her. People, she'll have what they call pretty privilege. 
She'll have what they call pretty privilege. Demons do that to this day. A demon will take your that, that fine man with the muscles, uh, you know, sit up there all, all up on tap, all up on TikTok and, and licking his lip. A demon will take that man and a demon will get into that man. And you know what? We'll utilize that man to seduce people using his flesh. He's but cattle. That's all. We'll use his flesh to seduce women to him. And these women are on TikTok screaming out and crying out and throwing themselves at him, not knowing that the war is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the rulers of this dark world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the message because this is what this is supposed to be couples counseling. Now, to the couples, one of the things I want you to hear me say is that it is possible for you to be a villain inside of a toxic relationship. You may be the lesser villain, but it is possible. Most of the time when there is contention in a relationship, there are two villains present. See, let me tell you how. If you don't know how to humble yourself, if you don't know how to sit back and realize I can't control this other person. I can sit back and I can say to Ring, Ring, hey, listen, we're married. I don't like you staying out late at night. That's not okay. I just communicated with him. What I'm doing, and I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine sitting on the floor. You can do it as a physical, as a, an exercise so you can get uh, more present in it. I want you to imagine sitting on the floor and you're facing your, your husband or your wife. And they're sitting on the floor. It's Indian style. And I want you to take a basketball and I want you to imagine rolling that basketball to him. But you're putting a note on that basketball, right? You put a note on that basketball, you roll it over to him. He looks at it and this is your contract of source, you know, because can two walk together except they be agreed. This is your contract of source. You roll that ball over to him. He looks at it. He checks off. No, won't do it. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, what have you. He said, this is what I want. He puts his demands on there. He rolls it back to you. It's in your court and his court. You have to understand that every decision begets a decision. That means that if I'm married to this man and I say, ring, hey, listen, that's not okay. There's no reason for me to berate him, okay? There's no reason for me to beat him down. There's no reason for me to tear him up. There's no reason for me to get emotional with him. Now, is that to say that I won't get emotional? No, I think that's, you know, sometimes that's a get. That's something that you can do. You can jump into your feelings at one moment. You get hurt or what have you, especially when you start realizing that this dude is about to destroy a relationship with his pride. He's about to, he's choosing his pride because the pride in most cases is a side chick, but it's not the side chick to you. It's the side chick to God and not, the, not God's side chick, meaning he's made his pride his God and he's trying to make God his side chick. So long story short, you sit back. If I'm in a situation like that, I would communicate with Ring. I said, Ring, um, you staying out is not good. I don't know what you're doing, and I'm not okay with that. When we started dating, we talked about um, what we wanted, and we talked about what we needed and what we would do and what we wouldn't do. You said you would never cheat on me. You said, you know, you would respect me and all these other things. You are now in violation of that agreement. So I'm asking you, could you not do that? Could you come home at a decent hour? Uh, could you communicate with me when you're going to be out late? 
you know, anytime after 10 o'clock that I think that you need to be in communication with me and also make sure that I'm okay with it. While I understand that you're an adult, you have to understand that you're a married adult. So that's my thing. This is what I'm asking of you. Now we're still sitting Indian style on the floor. Now I roll that ball back over there to ring ring looks at it ring checks out he says nope gonna stay out as much as i want now he doesn't have to say it he does it he sometimes people answer through doing and not by saying so ring look he he checks off he says nope i'm gonna stay out as long as i want i'm a grown man they get that agreement we made um at the end of the day you can do what you want to do this is a democracy <laughs> oh what have you once he rolls that ball back over to me it is in my court it is in my court. Let me tell you where a lot of men and women make the mistake. It's in my court. Now I pick the ball up. I start crying. I start pacing. I start bouncing a ball. I throw it and hit him in the head with it. I'm like, you pathetic. You don't even understand. I just became the villain. In that, he's a villain, but I also just became the villain as well. Because in that, what I didn't realize was that I can't infringe upon his will. Even God doesn't infringe upon his will. In that moment, I don't realize or I'm not conceptualizing the fact that, you know what? This man just made a conscious decision to violate the agreement he had with me as a spouse. The ball is now in my court. Now, I have to make a decision. Before you build a thing, count the cost. What we were building, we had an agreement. He He's in violation of that agreement. He told me that, hey, he was going to be a faithful man. He told me that he was going to, you know, we were going to have come home at a respectable hour. We agreed to, you know, always being in communication and what have you. But this person that has shown up at my door, I don't recognize him. I recognize him in flesh, but I don't recognize him in any other dimension. So consequently, what I have to do in that moment is once the ball is in my court, I look over at ring and I say, okay. What that means is now I need to pull away and I have to make a decision. Somebody got to hear this. I have to pull away and I have to make a decision because now I'm building with a different character than the one that got introduced to me. I have to make a decision before you build a thing, count the cost. Now I have to decide, can I live with him? Can I be with him for the rest of my life? Knowing that he's going to be out, come out, whenever, come home whenever he wants to. He's going to talk to me any kind of way. Can I live with that for the rest of my life? That's the decision that I have to make. It is asinine for me to get up and cuss him out, call my friends and cry, what have you. Now, it's okay to get a therapist. It's okay to get pastoral counseling. If the person wants to get help, it's okay to do those things. But I have to make a decision. If I say, hey, um, sitting on the floor, I roll the ball back over to him. He reads it and it says, this is a lot for me. I don't know um, what to do in, in this situation. What I do know is that I care about you and I want to fight for my marriage, but I can't violate your will. Would you be willing to go to pastoral counseling or counseling with me? He answers really quick and rolls it back over to me. He says, no, ball is in my court. The ball is in my court. Now, this is where I start treading on thin ice. In that moment, I'm probably going to make a decision that I need to move out of that house. I'm going to make a decision. More than likely, I need to get out of that house because 
the person that he is is not willing to compromise and I'm not willing to spend it. Now, if I've made that decision, you know, sometimes you may have to kind of, I may have to get out and say, well, I need to clear my head to see, like, I got to, I have to assess this, right? I got to, I got to look at this deal all over again. It makes me think of, um, I, I was talking about on the last one, working with this artist and, um, I sent her my song lyrics and she was supposed to sing it or what have you. And she cuts it. She doesn't consult with me before cutting the song in half. I looked at the lyrics today and I compared it to the song. She cut it down 33%. She cut it down. I mean, 66%. She only sung 33% of the song. So she didn't consult with me. Right. I was really frustrated with how she did it because especially once she delivered it, it was, it, it sounds really good. I sent it to, and let me just get to that point before I go down a rabbit hole and I'll say that. But the point that I'm making is she didn't put the ball back in my court. She made a decision. She infringed upon my will. She made a decision on my behalf. That was not okay. She didn't give me the opportunity to say, hey, uh, I would, I will, I would pay the extra for you to sing the song in its entirety. I'll pay the extra. Just give me a price. Just tell me how much you want and I'll pay the extra. She didn't do that. She didn't, she infringed upon my will by taking a song, cutting it down and then finishing it and sending it to the sound, sound engineer. Then let me hear it before she finalized the decision or what have you. And typically people who do like that, they're moving, you know, for money. Well, she did an amazing job. I sent the uh, song to my friend girl, one of my friends today, and um, she listened to it. Well, I sent it yesterday. She finally responded on. No, actually, I sent it today. She was like, send the song. And I sent it and she finally responded. And she was like, um, I got to tell you, that is my favorite version of the song. Yes. I love. Oh, my gosh. That is my absolute favorite version of that song she loved it she loved it and you know she she really encouraged me in that and I told her I said I'm not gonna lie I was a little salty <laughs> a little salty uh, you know I was thinking about going and finding somebody else and saying hey I want an extended version but I don't want to hire her no more because I don't want to give her another dollar <laughs> you know but at the end of the day you know I was just really intrigued or I was really impressed um with what the lady did as far as the song and um, my friend girl, she encouraged me just, you know, her encouragement uh, let me know that, hey, the song sounds amazing. So that's neither here nor there. I'm saying that to say you cannot infringe upon the will of another human being. It doesn't matter that you're married to that person. You can't infringe upon that person's will. What you have to do is sit back and say, hey, listen, that's not OK. And I'm going to be honest with you. I care about you, right? You know that I want our marriage to work. I want you to be happy with me. Like, I never want to be in a marriage where a person is not happy with me. I want us to be happy together. And I know that that requires me to make sacrifices, you know, and I've made plenty for you. And this is a sacrifice I'm asking of you. you the Bible talks about kindness. That's a fruit of the spirit. I have to be kind to that person, even though that person is getting on my nerves. What then happens is, Let's say he sits back and he says, I ain't actually be kind to me. You do what you want to do. At the end of the day, 
I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And yeah, that's it. So I don't want to have this conversation no more. And no, I don't want to go meet with your pastor. No, I'm not going to counseling. Period, point blank. What he's telling me is this. He just solidified. Now, when I say solidified, I want you to hear that as a, uh, not so much a technical term, but more of a legal, a legal term. He just sat back and rolled the ball to me with a contract that he already signed. Now, if you know anything, if you ever worked with Adobe or um, what is that contract website I just finished working with? Okay, Adobe, and it's another one. I always sign my leases on. You probably know what I'm talking about. But if you ever work with one, any of those, uh, DocuSign, DocuSign. If you ever work with DocuSign or Adobe, the legal part, one thing you'll know is that once you sign that contract, you can't edit it. I found that out the hard way because I had to create contracts for all of my actors for the uh, short film I just created. So I had to create uh, the contracts and send it over to them through DocuSign or what have you. And I'm sending these contracts over uh, to, to, to the actors and stuff like that. And no, while I'm creating the contracts, occasionally, because I have, you know, this stored signature, um, my signature already stored. So I was using my stored signature. You know, I go, um, Adobe, you can use the thing. You can go down and just stamp your signature. It's my actual handheld signature, but you can stamp it on. And at first I didn't realize that once I stamped it on, I couldn't do anything else with the contract. So I would still be working on the contract or what have you. Um, and I would, you know, got to the point where I started recognizing the system. So I'm trying to move real fast. So I'm going down and I'm, you know, hitting, uh, the initial here, initial here, initial here. I'm doing all that, put the date in, put the wages in, all of that stuff. A couple of times I didn't realize it at first. I hit signature It locked the contract. I literally couldn't do anything else once that contract is locked. Once he solidifies it, once he tells me that this is what it is, that's what I'm done. The Bible says, if the unbeliever wanted to depart, let him depart. Believe it or not, that unbeliever just departed. Not just physically. He may be still there physically, but he abandoned the rules. He abandoned what the two of you talked about. Now, that doesn't give you a justification for divorce. I don't want to try to rewrite the Bible and have anybody filing for divorce. What I do want to say is this. In that moment, you make a conscious decision. Can I live with this man for the rest of my life in the state that he's in? Can I do that? And if your answer is no, then maybe it's time for you to live apart. Now, pray about that. Make sure you Talk to your pastor about that. Don't just take this and say, oh, Tiffany, this is confirmation. No, you should always have up close and personal wise counsel. The reason for that is, is because people who know you from up close and personal know your personal situation. In many cases, they know what I don't know, because I've had plenty of cases where I've had women sit in front of me and men sit in front of me. And it was the person that played the victim who was the biggest villain in the situation. The person who saw themselves as the victim in many cases were the biggest villains. And again, many times I sat in, in situations where I had to identify that both of them were villains. Both of them villainized each other. Matter of fact, you get into a relationship in survivor's mode, both of you are probably villains in a relationship. You're just different type of villains. There is a more acceptable or socially accepted uh, villain, which is the covert. And, you know, if, if it's a female and she's a covert and she's like, you know, I've been faithful to him and 
I, 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 I loved him and I, I treated his kids like they were my kids or what have you. And this guy, I can't even believe it. He went out, he cheated on me, he cheated on me with the next door neighbor. Uh, this girl walked up to me one day and I didn't understand what was, she, what was happening. And she just looked at me and she started smiling and she just switched on by. And I didn't know what was happening. happening. I didn't know what was going on. Later on, I found out. That he was, he'd been messing with this girl for the last six months. And, you know, I go to my job. There's this girl up there. They move her up to supervisor. And then she ends up being my supervisor. And the girl starts giving me hell. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, hey, listen, what's going on? I don't know you. Why are you so mean to me? Why are you so condescending towards me? What have I done to you? I come to find out later on that, you know, she used to call my phone and you're on schedule. I'm like, no, I'm not. And she was like, I put you on schedule yesterday. And I told her, you can't do that. You can't, you can't just ch- choose to put me on schedule all of a sudden. Uh, but I find out that she's been sleeping with him. And that's the reason she hates me. That's the reason she hates me. Company won't do anything about it because they say I have no real evidence or what have you. I'm like, I got her phone number in his phone. And they said, you know, there's no real evidence. That could have been, you know, somebody doing something on the Internet or what have you. There's no, ev- no real evidence. So they can't get into that type of situation. I don't know what to do. Now she could tell you this real bad story, but I'm going to tell you as a counselor, as a coach, as a mentor, hear me when I say this, you better take the time out to hear both sides of that story. Oh, you better hear both sides of that story because while she may have a baby face, while she may be crying, while she may seem to be innocent, she could be a covert narcissist. If you sat down and talked to him, He can probably look you in the face and he'll say, did she tell you that when I was dating her, she ended up getting pregnant? I found out three months later. Now, this was after I proposed, mind you. I find out three months after I proposed that she went had an abortion. And I'm like, why would you abort our child? You know, she didn't tell me she was pregnant or what have you. She gives me this cockamamie excuse about how, you know, her mama left or her daddy left her mama when he found her and she was traumatized. I didn't want you to leave me. I was scared to tell you. And you know what? I believed her. I believed her. And I sat there. I stayed in a relationship with her and I did all of these things and we ended up getting married. And I reassured her that, hey, when you carry my kids, you can trust me. Come to find out she was pregnant by my stepbrother. Brought her over there, introduced the two of them. I was wondering why they kept looking at each other funny. I used to get weird vibes. I felt like maybe they just didn't like each other. And, you know, because he would be every time, I, you know, we uh, she would come over. He would go. He'd be in his room playing video game. But I noticed he would come out of his room a lot more. He seemed to have his shirt off when he come out the room and all that. And now found out. She got pregnant by my stepbrother and she wasn't sure if the, the child was my stepbrother's or mine. So she went and had an abortion. Her friend told me that, you know what, she was more sure that it was my stepbrother than it was mine because she said she was having more sex with my stepbrother at that time than me. So this is what I've been going through with her. They are both villains. Neither one of them deserves pity. Neither one of them deserves pity. What you give them is the Christ. You give them the cross. What you do is you introduce them to Christ. That's it and that's all. That's the only counseling they need. The only counseling is, one, you want to deal with childhood wounds. Two, you want to give them, you want to get them to the cross. We make the mistake of taking a person or in a situation like that is taking that person and trying to drag them and trying to help them to fix a relationship that has no good and godly foundation. 
The relationship cannot survive. You're going to be building with them on top of nothingness. You'll be building. Now, let me say this because there are some couples on here. They'll say, well, Tiffany, we happen to be Christian couples. That doesn't mean you're Christ-like. It doesn't mean that God has signed off on your relationship. It doesn't mean that God is the third fold in your relationship. Have you been in agreement with him? Have you done things the right way? And if you say no, that's fine. You know, if, you, if you've repented, truly repented, I'm not talking about uh, manipulative repenting, meaning repenting for the benefit of having the warfare to stop, repenting for the, uh, uh, in an attempt to get the deed to your relationship transferred from Satan's hands to God's hands. There's more uh, work that goes into that. And when I say work, I'm not talking about uh, you getting up and spinning around and jumping up and dancing. I'm talking about what you were supposed to do outside of the relationship. You now have to do in a relationship. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the hardest thing to do. That is the hardest thing to do. You have to die to yourself. And I've learned in a relationship like that, what happens is your spouse becomes a widow in the relationship because the person they marry dies to themselves. Meaning if your man came and you were the super seductress freak, all of that stuff, but you went to church and you was a nice girl. You, you played, you played that to the T. I'm going to be a nice girl. I'm going to be a, a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets. You played that thing out really, really well. But now that your relationship has been, you know, you're, you're in a situation now, you know, you're having to Really discover who you are. But first and foremost, you have to discover God because he says, seek ye first. But you didn't do that. Now you genuinely have to go on a journey of thought. I'm going to say this, and this is going to rattle the paperwork and the clipboards of some therapist, psychiatrist. You have to stop trying to fix your marriage and start trying to fix your relationship with God. Your marriage will follow suit. This is why suit. This is why God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything, everything else will be added to you. You have to stop trying to fix your relationship with that person and work on your relationship with God because you need a foundation for the relationship with that person. (laughs) I'm trying to say person and purpose at the same time for whatever reason, but you need a foundation for your relationship with that person, a solid one. You know, the reality of it is every relationship you've been a part of Nine times out of 10 has always had a faulty foundation. And a lot of people try to give their people, their relationship, a Christian foundation and not a Christ foundation. That meaning you're trying to establish it on a religion or the works and not establishing it on Christ. In order for you to establish a relationship on Christ, check this out. You have to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else to be added to you. You have to move in your purpose. This means that, check this out, with a man, the Bible calls a woman to help me. He needs to know what he needs help with. As a woman, you have to become, uh, you have to become a professional, an expert at helping yourself in Christ. You have to become an expert at fixing problems, resolving problems, overcoming conflict, stop quitting everything, stop crying about everything, getting your emotions under control. That way you can help him. The Bible talks about, you know, before you try to remove a moat from somebody else's eye or a speck from somebody else's eye, you have to remove it from your own first. Before you try to remove, remove a beam, it says a big thing uh, from somebody else's eye, you got to remove the speck, the moat, that's that little tiny thing from your own eye. So that means you got to work on your own issues before you go try to help somebody else out. That's why a lot of marriages fail to this day because you got two hypocrites in a relationship arguing with one another 
about what they need. And both of you are trying to turn each other into miniature gods. You're trying to replace the God above with the God beneath. You're trying to replace the God above with the one that you are sleeping with. You're trying to replace the God above. You're trying to make that person feel that God-sized void. And he's trying to make you feel that God-sized void. Or she's trying to make you feel that God-sized void. And it's causing a lot of rift and wrath between the two of you. When in truth, what you have to do is you have to go on a journey. Now, you may say, Tiffany, okay, what if we're both married and we're both in Christ? And yeah, we did it the wrong way. And you know what? My husband and I or my wife and I, we're in agreement. We did it the wrong way. We want to go on this journey. I want you to hear me. Like I said, I'm about to flip over some some clipboards. You have to go on that journey as individuals and as a couple if you're already married. That means if your husband don't get up and read the Bible, that means you still got to read it. If your husband or your wife don't want to go to church, you still got to go. You got to keep pursuing God. I've learned this. If we meet in Christ, nothing can divide us. If we come to say, okay, at the end of the day, you, you know, we're going to agree with the Bible, what the Bible says, period, point blank. No matter what you believe, no matter what you say, we're going to say, we're going to come into agreement with what the Bible says, or we're going to follow biblical examples. We're going to get Christian counseling and we're going to overcome our pride and we're going to do what we don't, because pride is the main reason that marriages uh, fail. At the end of the day, pride is disgusting. Um, most people in America and in the Western world struggle with high level of pride and they don't know how to persevere. This is why a lot of relationships end. So we're going to come into agreement. We have to come into agreement with that. We have to sit back and say, this is where we are. Now, this person has to have their own individual relationship with God outside of you and not just being Christian, because this is where we're messing up at. I was cracking on my students about that. I said, you know, we just because it wears church shoes. Listen, those are going to be the worst ones. I'd rather go get Tyrone off the corner selling crack cocaine. And God knows I don't want that. Then to get a religious dude who dances around and does all of that, but does not live for Christ because nine times out of 10, he's not savable. You know why? Because in his mind, he already believes that he's right. He feels like I already got Christ. You can't tell me nothing. The same Bible you read is the red one I scan through. So ain't nothing you can tell me. Now, the one on the corner, there is some hope for him because maybe he hasn't been introduced to Christ. Now, he can still reject Christ. I'm not saying I want him. I'm just saying that if I had to choose between the two. If somebody's already reading a Bible, going to church and doing all that, but they still won't live for Christ. No, you're probably dealing with a religious Jezebel. And he could be immature. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying when a person gets into religion, if a person gets into religion because that's where trauma leads. You better hear me when I say this. Trauma mixed with immaturity can lead to religion. And if it leads to religion, it can lead to Jezebel. And if it leads to Jezebel, you're going to find all types of things like witchcraft and control in the mix. And I'm not just talking about with the man. It could be in a woman as well. You end up with two people who are villains and they're villainizing one another. Both people trying to control one another. Both people are broken and toxic and manipulative and controlling. And they both need deliverance. They don't just need deliverance because deliverance is pointless if you don't get healed and you don't give God his seat in your heart. It's pointless. And going to church doesn't mean that you have God in your heart or in every area of your heart. This is what it means to be made whole. You are a multidimensional creature. 
And as a multidimensional creature, there are different facets and areas of you. There are parts of you that are great at being a spouse. There are parts of you that are probably horrible. Like being a, let's say, the, the parental part of you. Oh, you're a great father. You're a great mother. I'm talking about amazing. But you may make a horrible spouse. The financial part of you, you may be horrific in that area. But in the area of friendship, you're great. You know, I remember this guy. I was younger. I was about um, 16 years old when I met him. 15, 16, I don't remember. I, well, 15, I think, when I met him. He moved into our neighborhood and he started, him and his brother, they started dating, you know, immediately. They had this really passive, uh, not even passive. They weren't thugs. What have you? They weren't thugs. They weren't passive at all, but they weren't thugs. You know, they just seemed really educated or what have you. So they started mowing. <laughs> they started mowing through the neighborhood. I won't say that because we lived in a this little area, but they, they started dating, right? The guy... I call him uh, Tony. Tony starts dating. You know, he's dating around or what have you. And Tony runs through through a couple of girls in that neighborhood, okay? But Tony didn't come off as promiscuous. He wasn't, you know, he always seemed to be that guy that had his head on straight. You know, um, all of those things. Tony and I became friends. I was friends with Tony and his clique. And the reason I was friends with Tony and his clique was because I was the girl they couldn't get. You know, I was you would you weren't getting my draws, period, point blank. None of them were getting my draws. Nobody gonna be spreading no rumors on me. <laughs> uh, so I used to listen, I used to hang around them, and I would listen to them talk about the girls they had run through, or oh, what have you. And I would laugh at them. I was learning from them. Oh, what have you. And of course, did they try to make moves on me? Yeah, they would make little sexual connotations and say stupid stuff every now, now once in a while or what have you. I was a cheerleader at that time, so you can only imagine. <laughs> and when I say I was a cheerleader, I was talk, I'm talking about, I just immediately think I used to like be practicing. I'll do some stuff outside that just being a young lady, we have like stretching my leg over my head, you know, standing up and doing all that kind of crazy stuff. I couldn't do that now if I wanted to, but I would do all of that stuff. You know, just showing off and what have you. They be like, girl, you know, what have you. Now, we had that type of friendship where you punch each other in the, in, the, in the arm or what have you. Tony and I became really, really cool. I dared at one point I said he was like a best friend to me, you know, and I think he would probably be big to differ, but we were pretty cool. We were really cool, cool. He got to the point where the other guys, even though we hung out as a, you know, uh, a group, and I won't say hung out like I didn't sit with them in school. I didn't hang around. I'm just saying in the neighborhood, we would always be hanging out. They would knock on my door, ask me to come outside. I go out there, sit down with them and talk with them, laugh with them or what have you. But they didn't come by my house as a group too much. They came by every once in a while. Tony typically came by my house most times. He would come by and he would ask me to come outside or other times he would come in the house. He would come in and we sit down and we talk or what have you and Tony would always crack jokes I'm talking about he would always say something stupid I say something stupid to him he say something stupid to me he was one of the sharpest people that I remember I knew at that time because he was really quick like his comebacks were quick you know he, you can say something and he say something and he'll have you crying laughing or what have you so Tony was really cool but one of the things about Tony was I remember Tony, at one point, he looked at me 
And he said, Tiffany, um, why? I'm just trying to figure out, like, why can't we be in a relationship? Like, why can't we talk? I don't understand. You know, I, I, I don't get it because we're really cool. Uh, we're really this, we're that. Why can't we be in a relationship? And the reason that I would not agree to a relationship at that time was because I didn't want to deal with the public pressure of school because, you know, public pressure, it, it, it ruins relationships. And at the same time, I appreciated his friendship so much. I didn't want to lose it. Let me tell you, I realized this about Tony. Tony was a great friend. Tony was an amazing friend. Tony was cool as a friend. But when it came down to relationships, Tony was a horrible boyfriend. <laughs> I didn't want to cross over into that because to him, he was thinking, we're friends. We're cool. Why not? I'm thinking you're asking me to cross over into being your enemy. And I don't want to do that. I appreciate your friendship so much. I love coming outside and, and talking with you and kicking it with you. I love that. Now, I'm going to be honest. At some point, I did cross over into a sexual relationship with Tony. It was pathetic. When I say pathetic, I'm not, I'm saying it was pathetic. I was a pathetic human being. That's what I mean when I say that. But I did cross over into that friends with benefits type of relationship with him. But I never would agree to a relationship. I never would agree to a relationship because I didn't want to ruin. And it's stupid. It was a way of thinking. But I'm saying that to say that there are people out there. They're, they're, we're multidimensional creatures, period. All of us are multidimensional. Tony was a great friend. Tony was a clown of a friend. Tony was somebody that I was sure I would remain friends with for the rest of my life if I didn't date him. If Did I like him? Yeah, I thought he was really cool. I thought we had a good friendship, all of that stuff. But I saw Tony's history with women. And you know, and get this, the women that Tony was dating, these were some beautiful women, right? These were some gorgeous women. Tony liked them light-skinned. <laughs> I wasn't light-skinned. But at the same time, it didn't matter. You know, he had his mind made up. Like, I, I, you know, you and I, we were really cool. we get along real good. Because Tony would come to my house. He would knock on my door. Sometimes late at night, my mom was working. My dad, my mom and dad had broken up by this time. My mom was working. Typically, sometimes she'd work overnight. And Tony would come knock on my door. And I'd just come stand outside and talk to him or what have you. And it got to a point before we even crossed over, because it took us probably, it took us some time, but before we crossed over into uh, a sexual relationship, Tony used to just sit there and help hold me at times. And I, I would just laugh with him and talk with him, but I had it in my mind. I love this dude. Hear me when I say this. Sometimes love is not giving a person access to your heart. And in the case, you know, obviously that's not me. Don't let me be a hypocrite here. Um, giving him access to my body was not a good thing. But at that time, I wasn't saved. I was broken. But I'm saying, I thought to myself, I love this dude. I love him as a friend. He's an amazing friend, which I believe in myself. I'm an amazing friend. So we were cool as friends. But when it came down to having a, and I'm going to likely have to do a part two to this. I am because we're only uh, 30 seconds away before it's going to shut me out. Tony made an amazing friend. 
I made an amazing friend. So in the area of Philia, me and Tony were cool. We would hang out. But in the area of relationships, Tony and I didn't do so well. Uh, or Tony didn't do so well in the area of relationships. And I sucked in the area of relationships as well because I used to toss guys like it was nothing. But let's go ahead and move on to part two. Okay, part two. Now, this is the part I know somebody will say, well, Tiffany, how does that work? First and foremost, I wasn't saved, but I want to answer this. I'm going to help you to understand my logic at the time. Tiffany, how does that work? If he uh, did make a good boyfriend, why would you have sex with him? Tony, I believe, made a good lover. Tony, I believe, had the passion, all of those things. He would make a good lover, but he wouldn't make somebody that you wanted to give your heart to. He wasn't somebody that you wanted to commit yourself to. Not to me at that time. He wasn't somebody that you wanted to sit back and, and exchange vows with or give your trust to or give your heart to. That wasn't the Tony that I knew. Tony had that face, the voice, and the mannerisms of that type of guy that you would want to give your heart to. He was really well put together and all that. But I saw what Tony did to the last few women. And not only I saw, but they were acting crazy over this dude, okay? I saw what he did to them. I saw his handiwork. I didn't want to be the, the woman that fell under that or what have you. So Tony and I went on. We continued being friends. We cut off that lover part for a while. Uh, but we continued being friends for many, many years because Tony made an amazing friend. He made an amazing friend. Now, why did we end up in our friendship? What did we, why did we stop talking? The reason that Tony and I just really just cut things off was because I grew up. I'm a tour. I'd come to realize that, hey, Tiffany, you're worth more than that. You're worth more than that. Even though he was trying to offer me um, more or what have you, I, I had to realize I, were, I was worth more than that. I knew that Tony, again, great person. And this is why I can, I can be honest with you. Over the course of my life, the area where I'm strong is Philia. I make a great friend. And this is one of the reasons why. Let me say this. You ever have a woman that says, hey, I've always been, I've always gotten along with guys really well. She typically makes a really good friend, believe it or not. She makes a really good friend. The reason that she gets along with men is because men typically keep their friends for a lifetime. Women don't. Women get emotional. Women sometimes get controlling. A lot of the issues that men have with women, women have with women, but we don't like to admit that. When it comes down to situations like that, like a lot of the guys that were in my life, they were in my life for years. You know, um, I, I've told the story and I'm going to get back into couples counseling, no worry. But I told the story of this one guy that was in my life for many, 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 many years. We never had a relationship, never dated, never kissed, never none of that. But this dude was my bestie. I, I can't say bestie, but he was like a bestie. I'll say that. And what I mean by that, you know, and I've shared this story before and I'll try to short, sh share a short version of the story. He protected me from getting sex trafficked. Some of the guys in my life protected me from some of the craziest stuff, the stupid stuff that I would throw myself into. Because you got to understand, I was li living in Mississippi. Mississippi is the poorest state in the United States. I hadn't really gone much outside of Mississippi. Not only that. I haven't I hadn't gone much outside of the neighborhoods I lived in. That is to say, I was a very uncultured like I didn't know much about the world. For me, I had my trust was huge. Even though I had dealt with a lot of crazy stuff, 
my trust. Like I, it was hard for me to conceptualize that people were that wicked. I came across some wicked people, but to know that they were that wicked. Well, this particular guy, I'll call him Jerome. Jerome protected me from getting sex traffic. Now, when I say sex traffic, prostituted, I don't know, but it would have been a form of sex trafficking at the end of the day. So let me tell you what happened with this particular guy. I'm going to try to keep it short. Um, when it comes down to Jerome, I don't remember how I met him. I just know that at some point we ended up having each other's number and we used to talk on the phone. I won't say every day. I think we had our moments where we would talk on the phone every day. Um, and then we had other moments where we, you know, we'll probably talk every few days or what have you. But that is to say that Jerome and I, we talk rather frequently. Well, Jerome, oh, I can't believe it's five. Uh, what Jerome used to do is Jerome used to, you know, I remember he was in a relationship. I would be in a relationship or what have you. He would give me a lot of advice. Like when it came down to guys, he was the guy that helped me through my first heartbreak. Uh, when I was 17 years old, that's when I suffered through my very first heartbreak. Um, because what ended up happening in that relationship was the first time I had really given my heart to a guy. I always tell people I was a G. <laughs> At least I thought I was when it came down to guys. I wasn't giving my heart away that easily because I grew up around womanizers. You know, I grew up seeing womanizing my whole life. So I knew all the lines. I knew all of the stuff, what have you. So you couldn't get me with that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, I was not interested in what you had to say. I was more interested in what you did. Now, I had my one time when I was 16 years old where I had, you know, played the dummy for 15 minutes. Uh, but I recovered from that really quick and what have you. So long story short, I ended up meeting this guy when I was 17. And I met him on the night of my prom. But I, I ended up meeting this guy. And I always... I told that story. I'm not going to go into the story, but I'll say this. This was the first guy that I gave my heart to. Like nobody could get my heart. I had dated a guy for two years before him. So yeah, I, I can honestly say my worst times as a human being were probably when I was between the ages of 15. I don't think I was that bad when I was 15 because my dad was more still kind of, but 16 to 16 to 18, 16 to 18, I can say, were probably my worst times. 19 to 21 was not my stellar years either, but 15 uh, to 18, 16 to 18. Well, yeah, I wasn't that great of a person, but I wasn't doing like I wasn't out there or what have you, because when I was, I think I met this guy when I was 14. I think I met him when I was 14. Um, the, the, the first boyfriend I ever had that I was allowed to have. Uh, no, the first one I had, I met him when I was 14, but we broke up pretty quick when I found out he tried to talk to a friend of mine. Met this other guy, accidentally met this dude, uh, trying to call another dude who had given me a wrong name. And he gave me this wrong name, but it was the right. It, it's, it's a long story. So I met a guy, um, a friend of mine. She introduced me and a friend of mine to the same guy, but she gave us false names. We didn't see the guy physically. She said, hey, I got somebody for you. Oh, what have you? Now she was playing a friend to both of us. I didn't, I was never a fan of her. She was a friend of my friends or what have you. So she introduces me to this guy and I can't say his real name because it's not that common, but she introduces me to this guy. She tells me his name is John. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And what have you? So she said, my cousin, you know, his name's John. You know, I think you'll like him. I think he, you know, I don't remember. She said he saw me. He liked me. I don't remember. But, um, she introduces my friend. I call her 
Sheila. She introduces Sheila to a guy and I'll call him Derek because she, she gave Sheila his real name. So she introduced Sheila to him first. She was like, hey, my cousin Derek, you know, what happened? So she introduces Sheila to him and then she introduced, she tells me about a guy named John. All right. So me and Sheila, we hang out. She would tell me about Derek. I would tell her about John. We don't realize we're talking about the same freaking person. <laughs> we don't realize we're talking about the same person. Now, we never met the dude. We talked on the phone with him or what have you. Sheila, I think, was kind of falling for him. But you got to remember, I was a G. So I wasn't falling or what have you. I was just kind of filling things out or what have you. Long story short, this John guy was trying to prove to be a little bit of a gr aggressive or what have you. I think his cousin had told him, well, you know, Tiffany, this is her personality. This is how she is. You got to be a little bit harder with her or what have you. So, you know, he would try to, you know, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm going to come see you. I'm going to this and all that. One particular day, Sheila and I, we were hanging out and John calls me and he wants to come see me. Now, again, we don't know if this is the same guy. Sheila's at my house and I want to see him, but I don't like him because he's a little too aggressive. You know, he's too busy. He's trying to be too domineering or what have you. So long story short, I told him I had a friend over my house and he can come through. He can bring his friends or what have you. And he said, OK, cool. Um, but. I'm, I'm just trying to fast forward through that story because it's pointless. But anyhow, I'm saying that to say I didn't come outside. We just wanted to see what they look like. We wanted to sit in the house and let them pass by so we could look in their car and see what they look like. We saw what they look like and we were like, nope. You know, he was sitting in the house wherever he was calling. But long story short, John was playing a whole lot of games. Uh, Derek is playing a whole lot of games. Again, they were the same people. Eventually, Sheila and I put two, to two, two and two together. And we realized that uh, we were talking to the same guy and that our mutual friend had, you know, tried to play us. You know, she had tried to play us. So one particular day, this is before I realized it. Yeah, this is before I realized it. I think this is what revealed it. As a matter of fact, one particular day, I called a phone number. I called his phone number. And at this time, you know, we didn't have cell phones. You had to remember a number by heart. So I called myself remembering a number by heart. And I called the wrong number. Now, I'm not going to say the number because I think I still remember it. I'm not sure if I remember it, but I still I think I still remember the number. I'm not sure. But I will say this. The actual number, I think it ended in 67. I'm thinking it ended in 67, but I accidentally ended up calling six zero or something like that. I don't remember, but I'm thinking the actual number. And you remember, I'm thinking the man's name is John. So I call this number, I call 67 when I was supposed to call 60. Now I call 60 when I was supposed to call 67. So this guy answers the phone. He's like, hello. I said, hey, may I speak to John? He says, speaking, who's this? And I noticed his voice is low, but you got to remember this, this guy, this other John, he's a character. He played a lot. So I'm thinking he's playing. I said, um, John, and I started fussing about something. And he was like, <laughs> who is this? I said, it's Tiffany. Stop playing with me. He was like, Tiffany who? I said, listen, ain't nobody got time for this stuff right now. Right? So I'm just, you know, we going back and forth. And I go to talk to me. He said, so, he said, so tell me, what did I do to you again? So I go on and on. I'm like, you did this, 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 and that. And, I, you know, I'm going on and on and on. And he said, after it's over, he says, and do I know you? 
I said, John, I'm about to hang up this phone in your face. He's like, no, please don't hang up. He's entertained by it. He's like, please don't hang up. Um, you know, he, he keeps talking and he keeps talking. Uh, and I'm convinced that this is the John character. I'm convinced that this is, this is him. And, um, he's playing on the phone. So I'm fussing. I'm trying to get off the phone. I'm threatening to hang up in his face. I probably even hung up. I don't remember. And he probably called me. I don't remember. But we ended up talking for a couple of hours. I took, I talked to him for quite some time before I realized that I had called, called the wrong number because at the end of it, he let me talk for like 20, 30 minutes. Let me fuss. We went back and forth. And, um, then he was like, um, what number did you call again? And I'm like, and I think the area codes at that time was 601. 601, da, 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 six, seven. He said, this is six zero. And then I, I thought, I said, this is six zero. He said, yes. I said, oh, I'm so, so sorry. Oh my gosh. You, so I'm on the phone. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm so I just got through berating you. I am so sorry. He was like, no, it's okay. It's okay. And I said, well, I, and he said, hey, he said, um, you know, you can call me sometime. Can I call you sometime or something like that? Uh, what have you? He said, um, and I just remember this dude's voice was beautiful to me. His voice is beautiful to me. Um, and this guy, John, was playing games. This, this guy, his name, actual name was John. The real guy that I call the real John, I call the real John looking for the fake John. Long story short, um, I get off the phone with him. I call the other John and I, I'm fussing at him. I, I give the fuss to where the fuss was due. And eventually I talk to my friend girl. I tell her and I think that's how I found out. I'm pretty sure that's how we found out. I was like, yeah, girl, I thought I had called um, six, seven and it's six zero. She was like, wait, what's his number again? I was like, and we looked at each other and I was like, 601. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, da, da, da. She's like, yeah. And I said, that's six, seven. She said, Tiffany, that's Derek's phone number. I said, does he have any brothers? She said, nope. I asked him. I said, so you think, and she said, Tiffany. I think we're talking to the same guy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So we decided to test him out. She ends up calling him and um, he gets the phone. I'm, I'm, we at my, well, no, we at her house. I'm on the other phone. I listen in and sure enough, it's the same person. And I get on the phone. I said, John, and he hangs up the phone or what have you. So yeah. And then eventually the girl, she comes in and admits to it. And she's like, I'm so sorry. He was just like, he wanted to talk to both of y'all, you know? So I figured, you know, y'all single, it, it was a, it was a whole hot mess, but I bowed gracefully out because I had met another John and I was attracted to his voice. I was really attracted to his voice. Anyhow, um, I ended up talking to him. Me and this guy ended up dating for two years. Yes, we did physically see each other. Cause, and that's a story within itself that I'm going to spare you the details of. Um, but we did end up seeing each other actually probably about a month after we met. He popped up at my house at the worst time ever. He didn't tell me he was coming. <laughs> and he popped up in my house. Nevertheless, we end up dating for about two years. And during our dating phase, um, 
I never gave him access to my heart where he I where I would act crazy over him. I sketched his name on notebooks, Tiffany and John. I did that kind of stuff at school. It became known that I was dating a guy named John, all of that stuff. Um, but when I said I never gave him access to my heart, I cared about him to the best of my immature ability. But as far as him getting my heart to the point where I felt like this is it, we're going to be together, we're going to have babies and we're going to get married. I never got myself to that point. So when I met this other guy that I was telling you about that I met on prom, when I met this particular guy, I was 17 years old. And at this particular time, I was unconquered territory. And when I say unconquered territory, I'm talking about not saying I was a virgin because I wasn't, but I, I'm saying I, my heart, no man had ever gotten to my heart. No man had ever gotten to my heart. One had gotten close, but you know, I ducked right before he made contact. Uh, <laughs> I just said I was a mess of a person, but that comes from trauma, as, you know, as a child or what have you. Long story short, I um, end up dating this guy and we'll call him, I don't know if I gave him a name already, but we'll call him Philip. I end up dating this guy. Um, I end up dating Philip and Philip masterfully gets access to my heart. And the way Philip gets access to my heart is my mom fell in love with him. He, the first time he came to my house, he came with roses. He got, he gave me one. He was like, no, this first one's not for you. This is for your mom. He gave me one and then he gave one to my mom. He sat down. He was like, yes, ma'am. He was really respectful to my mom. He was a good looking guy. He had a car. He was in college. I was 17. He was 22 years old in college and all that stuff. So I fell in love with him. I, I opened my heart to him um, because of what he told me about his life and because my mom adored him and he seemed to be really promising, like he would come and pick me up and he took me to his college with him, all of this stuff, you know, not to go to school, but I, I traveled with him a couple of times. Um, I got to, I thought that, Hey, this is the one I thought that this is the guy that I'm going to marry. And when I thought that what I did was I opened my heart. I opened my heart because I didn't feel the need to have that guard anymore. I didn't feel the need uh, to, to defend myself anymore. So consequently he got me, <laughs> you know, getting me, Turned out to be a not so integral human being. And yeah, that person, it took me two years to get over him, which is crazy because I only dated him for a few months. That's the crazy part. I only dated him for a few months, but it took me two years to get over him. But getting back to the couple's counseling thing, I don't remember why I was telling those stories, but hopefully they were entertaining if nothing else. But getting back to the couple's counseling thing, when it comes down to counseling, again, one of the things that you have to understand is that you have to give people the freedom to make their decision. The ball comes in your court, then it goes in their court. Now, that's not to say that you can't compromise. I do want to make sure that I'm careful with that. That's not to say that you cannot compromise because you should compromise in relationships because at the end of the day, you're not going to always agree. At the end of the day, somebody has to make sacrifices, but you got to also understand that every personality has a one thing, like my pastor would say, a texture. Every soul has a texture. You can't be super passive, always giving in because your spouse has a harder personality. Your will gets stronger through you exercising it. And if you keep saying yes and giving in to your spouse's demands or your boyfriend's demands or your girlfriend's demands, what's going to happen is they're going to get used to that. They're going to become accustomed to that. 
They're going to get accustomed to you folding. Um, and that is almost like you saying that they're right. They're going to get accustomed to not having to compromise. They're going get, to get accustomed to getting what they want. Um, in so many words, what happens is you spoil them in a relationship. And I'm going to be honest with you, women, we are so guilty of that. We have a tendency to spoil men in relationships. And you don't realize that you can spoil people until you realize that you can spoil people by spoiling your friends. I don't know if you've done it. I have done it before. I have spoiled friends of mine um, because, you know, I was always like maybe picking up the tab. I'm always making a sacrifice. I'm always doing this and I'm always doing that. No, that's okay. I got it. No, that's okay. I'll do it. That's okay. This and that's okay. That. And over the course of time, I end up with a bunch of spoiled women around me who feel entitled. And then I got rid of them because you know what? They were entitled. And I realized that I kept writing myself a prescription to leave all of my relationships because what I would do was I would spoil them because I would try to be a blessing to people. And one thing I, I want to go ahead and say this, because this is couples counseling. You have to understand that not everybody can handle being blessed. I'm going to say that again. Not everybody can handle a blessing. I've learned that. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. You can test this theory. Go out, find a grown woman and buy. You know, I think you can buy those bags, of, like the, the bags of chips. And it's like, um. 30 packs in a bag, you know, 30 small packs of bags of chips in a bag. And every time you see her, just buy two bags of them. Make sure you have 60 of them. So for two months, every time you see her, give her a bag of chips. Never fail. Give her a bag of chips. Every time you see her, one day, stop. One day, say, oops, then bring a bag of chips. She's going to say, oh, that's fine. It doesn't matter, girl. I appreciate you. You say, okay, thank you, sis. Come back the next time and you don't have that bag of chips and come back the next time. You know what you just did? You just ruined your friendship. You didn't ruin your friendship by not giving her chips. You, re- you ruined your friendship by creating that dynamic, whereas she now expects that of you. She now expects that. So now she's going to say, hey, did I do something to offend you? Now, you can look at her as a villain all day long, but you created that dynamic. You created that dynamic. Every relationship has to have a purpose and a pulse. And anytime you are not fulfilling the purpose, the pulse of that relationship is going to start to fail. So it is possible to spoil somebody in a relationship. It's possible to spoil anybody in a relationship. So one of the things that you have to do, if you're anything like me, you have to be mindful that you don't create that dynamic. You have to be mindful that you don't create that scenario where now a person expects. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some relationships where there should be expectation. Don't get me wrong in that. So when it, I can give an example, when it comes to like my pastor, I volunteer with my church. I've worked with my pastor plenty of times. I can't alter that. That's one of the things I want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear on. You can't get close to somebody and then alter that. You can't do that. You can't, I can't go and work with him and I'm doing all of this stuff. And then I stop and I'm like, can't. Yeah. So what you doing? <laughs> you, you, you want to go get some lunch because now I'm perverting the purpose of that relationship. If that makes sense. Now I'm not saying that in order for me to have access that I always got to do, 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 but I am saying that part of me doing it is your gift that bring, that opens the door for you and brings before, brings you before a good, great man. You can't bring the gift and then just start showing up empty handed. That's just not how that works. So those relationships are centered around purpose. 
and not, they, they can never be really personal. At the end of the day, there's a personal aspect to it, you know, what have you, but you don't want to ever think in a situation like that, that you can just start showing up empty handed. And now because that's manipulation, it's like you manipulated your way into the door. And once you got in, you start seeing what y'all cooking around here, what y'all eating. So that means that now you're going to start taking, um, if nothing else, you're going to start taking the leader's time when the leader is a builder. So the leader is focused on building ding, 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 and now you're just walking around. What you doing? That look real hard. Oh, we, I'm going to go in here and get me a sandwich. You want me to make you a sandwich? Shoot. No, you can't do that. So in those type of dynamics, you want to make sure that, you know, you never, you never lose sight of the goal. The objective is not to build a relationship with the leader it's to build a kingdom. That you got to remember that it's never to build a relationship with the leader is to build a kingdom. And um, for a lot of people that get offended with that kind of talk, become a leader. And I'm just going to tell you like that. Don't argue about a pair of shoes you've never worn before. Become a leader and become a mass builder. Become a consistent mass builder. Just keep building your church, building the ministry, building whatever God, not your church, but God's church. But Building whatever God gave you to build, write the book, keep doing that kind of stuff, make a habit out of that, have people working with you and what have you. Um, and but you'll come to understand what I mean by that, because then you'll start to understand friends, for example, people that come into your life, friends are burdens. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Friends are burdens and they're burdens that many people are willing to carry. But if you have friends that are not doing anything, Yeah. You can't build as much. You're going to have to slow down your building um, in order to accommodate them or what have you. And they just it's just going to be a bunch of small talk about Tyrone hitting them across the head. And who's that fine boy over there? It's just going to be a small a bunch of small talk. If you're dealing with a builder, builders don't want to hear all that. They don't want all that small talk or what have you. So when you're working with a builder, you talk when you're building alongside them. It's like just imagine construction workers sitting there and both people are hammering and they're beside each other. How's Becky and the kids? Oh man, she's great. Oh, what have you. But if you put down your hammer, you're not allowed on the site, you know, so you can't ask the person to come off of the site to come and entertain you. That's just not how that works. So, but when it comes to a marriage, uh, one of the things that you want to do is yes, you want to be a builder. You want to be a giver, but there are a lot of personal aspects more so to a marriage, a lot of intimate aspects uh, to a marriage what have you, because you're becoming one with that person. And you, but you don't want to spoil that person. Even, you know, just going back to the uh, church dynamic, you can, you can spoil, you're, you, you can do too much. Okay. So you want to always make sure that you do what you can consistently do. You want to do what you can consistently do. So you have to ask yourself, can I do this for the next five years? If the answer is no, then you have to check your motives. I don't think people like to hear that kind of stuff. You have to question your own motives. You have to interrogate yourself. You have to do inventory of your heart. This is why you pray the prayer of God and purify my motives. Because if you're doing it with the intent of doing it short term, but you're trying to build a long term friendship, then you're using that gift to get access to that person, which is manipulation. Um, and then if you're using that gift to get access to that person and then all of a sudden you drop the gift and you're wanting that person's time. Then right then and there, um, you can become problematic. But that's another story for another day. Another lesson for another day. Getting back to this. I want to give an example of how you can spoil, spoil a spouse. And y'all heard me tell this story before. I, I, I want to spare you, but there are new people that listen to this channel all the time. So it is what it is. Let me just go ahead and share this. I was newly married. <laughs> just moved to Germany to be with the man I was married to. And... 
I had to quit my job to move to Germany. I resigned from a seven-year job, uh, seven years of working for AT&T. And yeah, I was, you know, feeling really good about my decision, a little uneasy. Um, I knew that there were people looking at me and waiting on me to fail, but that's one of the givens in life. So I moved to Germany and he's in school and he's working. It was something kind of like, I don't know what you call it, but it's like when you work in your profession, like you're about to graduate and now you have to go get hours on the site. They have a different name for that in Germany. Good God, was this on me by me? But they have a different name for that in Germany, but it's almost like a residency or internship or what have you. Long story short, you know, he got paid for that. So I was with him and the company where he was doing his um, internship, we'll call it that, that company was paying him. Right. So the company was paying him for that. They were provide. they were providing the house like the house we were living in. You know, they were paying the rent for that house. They were paying, giving him so much in groceries and stuff. They were paying him good. They were I'm talking about even if they never gave him a working wage, what he was being paid was really good uh, for that. Over happy. So he was a bioengineer. He was into all of that. Uh, so long story short, I would sit at home, you know, I would sit at the house and be working. So I decided, you know, Hey, I got to do my due diligence. I got to do my part. So I decided to be a house, a housewife because I couldn't work. And now mind you, I was building my business at the time. I did, I was designing websites for people or what have you, but that was very, it was less than a part-time job because I really didn't get that many clients at that time. I got my fair share, but I was getting very minimal. Like I wasn't getting a whole lot of clients at that time. Anyhow, I would cook and every time he would come home, um, I would have the food ready or the food would almost be ready every day. He would come home. I knew he would get home. He would get home about six thirty, six o'clock, six thirty. So I would make it a point to get into that kitchen about five o'clock and cook. And, you know, some things cook, take longer than others to cook or what have you. I go into that kitchen about five o'clock. I cook um, when he come home. Like I said, the food would be ready in most cases or in some cases. It will, I, I would probably look and say, we got about 15 minutes. We got 20 minutes left. Oh, what have you? He didn't trip. You know, he was just happy to come home to, to smell the food. Long story short, we had this dining room. And when the food was ready, what I would do was I would fix his plate. And I would fix my plate. I would pour his juice. And I would pour my juice. I was in the honeymoon phase. Okay. <laughs> I was in a honeymoon phase. So in the honeymoon phase, I'm trying to be the super wife because I figured, you know, Hey, he going out there working. Let me do my part. Now, don't get me wrong. Cause I know some men can roll their eyes and say, see, that's wrong with y'all women. Now is that's the honeymoon phase that what's wrong with you doing that for your man. I listen, I have no problem with fixing a man's plate. If you know, it, it, I don't have a problem. If we, if he working and I'm at home, I have no problem with that. Now, you know, because we're going to have to bo- both uh, p- put our party in. But I'm saying that to say I was pouring his juice. That was a little excessive, but that was just me trying to, you know, show off being a woman. I'm a, trying to be this super woman or what have you. Did I have a plan to stop? No. Did I have a pl- I just had a plan to pour his juice. But I don't think I had it in my head to do forever. It was just something I was doing. Now, I think it was something that I could have kept doing. Um, it would have become a habit. It had become a habit and I probably would have continued it if he had not had the response he had one day. And I, I've shared this before. 
uh, one particular day we end up getting into an argument. Uh, one night we get into this big argument. I'm talking about it's major. It's big. It's, it's, it's to the point where I have to go into the other room. I'm frustrated. I go sit in the other room in the darkness. I'm so mad at this dude. And um, after that, the next day, I'm still mad at him. Uh, I go up into the kitchen. We argue that day over the phone or what have you. I go in the, ki- I go in the kitchen. I'm still trying to make sure I do my part, right? Mad or not mad, I still got to cook. You know, uh, so I go up into the kitchen and I cook and I'm pretty sure I cook smothered steak. I'm pretty sure it was something that was uh, pretty lengthy. I'm pretty sure it was smothered snake steak and rice. So he ends up coming home and I put his plate down. I didn't throw his plate down or what have you, but I was still mad at him. So I wasn't speaking. So I put his plate down. I put my plate down. I put his uh, cup down. I put my cup down. Then I went, proceeded. I got the juice and I poured my juice. Then I slid the juice across the table for him to pour his own. He looked at me and I'll never forget because I'm looking down at my food, right? I'm looking down at my food and I've already started taking some bites of it or what have you. But I can see him out of my peripheral. He's just looking. He's just staring. He doesn't say anything. Finally, he breaks the silence. He says, you're not going to pour my juice. I was like, pour your own juice. This man storms up from the table. And I'm not being dramatic when I say storm. I'm talking about, you know how you get up like you push the, you push the chair with your, your butt. The way you stand up real heavy, the, the chair made it sound. He jumps up, storms out, goes into the bedroom and slams the door. Refuses to eat. I've cooked this whole meal. I was mad. I was livid. Because I didn't feel like cooking. I was livid. I didn't slaved over this hot stove. And this joker going to come home and get mad and refuse to eat because I refuse to pour him some juice. Got mad at me because I wouldn't pour him some juice. But at the end of the day, was he wrong? Yeah, he was wrong. But I was also wrong, too, because you know what I did? I created an expectation. I created an expectation. I created a habit. I created an expectation. And then I suddenly robbed him of it in that moment. And while I was mad, while I was frustrated, and while his response was dramatic, he was just, I was just as wrong as he was. Uh, so at that particular time, I ended up, uh, after everything settled down, I remember his uh, sister got involved. And this is before I fully fell out with her. Uh, but his sister got involved, and I told her what happened, and she was like, uh, I blame you for that. Why would you pour his juice? You know, that's a little extreme. And I'm like, I know I was just being a honeymooner, you know. And she's like, yeah, don't do that anymore. And then, you know, she fussed at him. She was like, you know, why would you not eat that girl cook this this hot meal? And he was like, I was just mad. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. And she made sure she said in front of him, she told me, she said, don't, I don't want you to pour him. Don't pour him no more juice. Don't pour him anymore. I said, oh, I've already told him. I had a discussion with him and I let him know, hey, that ends. You know, so from this point on. You have to fix your own plate and you have to pour your own juice. Occasionally, I will fix your plate for you. I don't mind doing that, but I don't want to create an expectation. And then if we're not getting along, um, if I don't feel like it or if anything happens, I don't want it to handicap you. I don't want you to feel like you that I have to do that. So I'm saying that to say to couples that one of the things that you cannot do, you can't lure somebody in by doing something for them and then suddenly stop. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's not right. 
Um, I've had people to pull that stunt. I've had women to pull that stunt with me, you know, and it's really annoying when somebody pulls a stunt like that, when they try to become your friend. And let's say, for example, always, hey, you know, uh, I bought you this or I did this for you. And I'm not talking about bought because most of the time I have never had a person that was just consistently buying stuff. But not to say I haven't had people to buy things for me before, but I'm talking about friends that would, you know, maybe send you a text. Hey, good morning. Hey, I'm going here. No, you know what? I know the perfect example. I was fishing for it. I'm talking too fast. Perfect example. Old friend of mine. I was working with her. We were working in retail. And we had started this trend of going to lunch to break together, even though, you know, we got busted because we worked in the same department. We would go to break together, this 15 minute break and our hour lunch. She would always ask me, hey, you ready to go to break? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Lunchtime come. I would look for her. She would look for me and she'd be like, you ready to go to lunch? I'm like, yeah, 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 sure. And she ends up meeting another girl that worked with us. The girl had been working there. But they just started talking. And the friend that I had, the type of person that she was, she didn't know how to host multiple friendships at one time. Like she felt like in order, she, she had that leave a mentality. Like I got to leave you to be friends with her type mentality. Or, you know, I got to villainize you in order to be friend her type mentality. That was just her and her youth. That was many years ago. I'm pretty sure she's not like that anymore, hopefully. But I'm just saying that was how she was at that time. So one day I come around. And I'll call her uh, Cheryl. I come around. I say, hey, where's Cheryl? They said, I'll come around for a 15 minute break. I was like, hey, where's Cheryl? She already went to break. She went to break with, and we'll call the new girl uh, Faith. I'm looking at something. She went to break with Faith. Oh, 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 okay. Thinking to myself. I said, well, I'm, I'm about to go to break. Scratching my head. Like, Dang, she could have invited me. You know, like we could have all hung out. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't get it. I couldn't fit that into my brain. I come around, come lunchtime. I'm like, hey, where's Cheryl? Oh, Cheryl went to lunch. She went to lunch with Faith. Mm, okay. All right. I'll let it go. Happens again the next day. And then the next day. You know what? I got mad at her. I got mad at her. Now, some people will say, well, Tiffany, that's not right. I'm going to tell you, I got mad at her because we have been doing that for months. She broke a pattern and she didn't she didn't talk to me. I don't want to say consult because that sounds really weird, but she didn't she didn't talk to me about it. She didn't say, hey, Tiffany, I'm no longer because there, she created an expectation. Now, was she obligated to go to lunch with me? No. But as a friend. One thing about friendship is that you want to also make sure you're communicating because that's a level of intimacy. The same is true when it comes to romantic relationships. You can't just stop something. You have to communicate your desire to stop it and what you feel. You know, you have to communicate that. So you can't create that type of pattern. Cheryl did that to me multiple times. You know, I remember she started making another for she did it again. You know, I was always forgiving this girl. I was always forgiving her. Um, I get mad at her. I tell her to stay out of my face. I wouldn't talk to her for months. Um, but typically a month, I wouldn't talk to her for like four weeks or what have you. And then, you know, we end up because we working together. She say something like, Hey, could you pass me that? And I was like, yeah, here you go. And then she's come back around. Hey, did you see this? Oh, she's all, Hey, you know, and so slowly but surely we would end up uh, talking again. We would become friends again or what have you. Then we call ourselves trying to discuss it, discuss, you know, the whole offense. 
And I would think, okay, we have an understanding now. Not a problem. I understand her. She understands me. We're good now. We weren't good because she ended up meeting another lady. This lady had just started working with us. I think she got transferred from another store. And we'll call her Donna. She ends up meeting Donna. She does the same thing. She does this with another girl that was working there. I just, I just remember this one. Uh, she does this with another girl. And most of her friends would not like me. You know, she'd get around them and then she'd come back and she's like, but they don't like you. And I'm like, what? For what? I don't even know them. They don't know me. So long story short, I, would, I knew that she wasn't my friend. I knew that she wasn't my friend. She was my buddy. She was somebody I like hanging out with, partying with, or what have you. But I had to be honest with myself. And in me grieving our friendship, typically I would just walk up to her and say, stay away from me or what have you, because I was grieving um, what I wanted to believe. Forgive me, my dog behind me. But I was grieving what I wanted to believe. Um, So I'm saying that to say, don't create an expectation that you cannot fulfill consistently. Whenever you start doing something, you want to make sure if you do it as a pattern, like if you do it back to back to back to back. You have to communicate with that person that one, this is not something that I may consistently do. So don't get used to this. You have to stop doing it from time to time because you have to let them see that that's not. And then two, you can't stop doing it to punish them. You can't stop doing it to punish them. You should never put people on punishment. That is a form of witchcraft. You know, whenever you don't get what you want, just go back to the uh, example of rolling the ball. You have to communicate. Now, I know somebody's going to ask, and I'm going to get ready to close. Somebody's going to ask, well, what if he don't want to communicate? I tried communicating with him. Go back to this. Now the ball is in your court. When a person refuses to communicate, they have communicated. And they're literally saying, they're, they're saying, without saying, if you understand body language, imagine a middle finger. <laughs> imagine a middle finger raising up in front of you. That's what they're saying. You know, so in that case, what you have to do is you have to then turn around and start consulting with yourself. Can I continue on in a relationship with this individual if this is going to be a pattern? And I want you to imagine that this is going to be something that happens for the rest of your life. This is what the women of old used to do. Whenever they would get in a relationship and they marry old Ebenezer and Ebenezer out there drinking that moonshine and cheating and doing all that stuff. At some point, you know, first they will try to fight and they try to run. They try to do like any, any sane woman would do. They would try to go on a run and save themselves, right? And over the course of time, they come to the reality that their families weren't going to let them come back. You know, they got all these kids. They would, you know, come to this conclusion that I won't say reality, but they come to the conclusion that I got to stick with this joker. They made peace with how he was. They despised him. By the time he got old, sin would eat him up. You know, the Bible tells us that sin. So sin, what sin does to the body, special sexual sin, is a sin against one's own body. This is why you have a lot of guys that would die faster than women because men would sin more with their bodies than women do. That's revelation for you. Men sin, will sin more through promiscuity with their bodies than women do. And also, the Bible talks about a man who mistreats his wife, his prayers, uh, you know, to treat your wife right so that your prayers not be hindered. So his prayers are hindered. So imagine that he's sinning against his own body, which means he's opening himself up for all types of uh, demonic oppression and disease. And then his prayers won't go up. So you can only imagine what that would do to the man, a man physically and psychologically. This is why they want that moonshine back then. But in all of that, 
she came to the conclusion, and that's the sad conclusion to come to. She came to the conclusion, conclusion there was nothing that she could do about it, that she had to stick it out. And when you come to that conclusion, hear me when I tell you, then you start making accommodations. And that's when a, that woman, even though she's in a toxic situation, she's able to make peace with her situation. Meaning she learned how to build fortresses around herself. This is why those marriages lasted. Not to say that they were good marriages. I'm saying she built fortresses where she learned. She learned how to fight. She learned how to beat old uh, Ebenezer up when Ebenezer came home drunk. She knew, she knew where to hit him at. She knew he felt like a girl when he was drunk. So she knew to just, just swing and hit his tail or just let him tire himself out. She Muhammad Ali'd him. She would just let him tire himself out. And whenever he tired himself out, she shove him down on the floor or what have you. Or sometimes he would swing so hard, he'd knock himself out. She just drag him to the bedroom, leave him right beside the bed. When he pick him up and put him in the bed, just leave him on the floor. She just leave him on the floor. She made peace with that. Am I saying that you should make peace with a toxic situation? Absolutely not. They didn't have an option or they didn't feel like they have an option at that time. Women nowadays have options. They don't have to tolerate that. But I am saying that you have to count the cost. And if you decide to stay in a toxic situation, yes, you do have to make peace with it. And I'm not saying that you're going to have to accept it, that that's going to be your reality for the rest of your life. No, you're going to have to win that person without words. This is what the Bible says. That means winning with your behavior. That's an attempt. So that means that. And I want you to get a, a clear picture of what that looks like, because a lot of people have this fantasized view and not the real view. There are two scriptures that uh, align with one another um, to help you to understand what that looks like. You have to win him without words. And that's in first Corinthians. I don't remember which one. I think it's first Corinthians seven or somewhere. I don't know. But you win him without words. If a woman has a husband, he believes not. Um, let her not depart from him. But the Bible tells you to win him without words. That means you have to win him with your behavior. As a matter of fact, it does go on to say you have to win him with your behavior. That means that you have to become the embodiment of Christ. Let me give you a real picture of what that looks like. You, a lot of people think that's works. I tried, Tiffany, but he keep pushing my buttons and I cussed him out. I tried. Yeah, you're going to keep cussing him out. You're going to keep being ungodly up in that house until you die to yourself. You're going to have to do what you were supposed to do in the first place, which is die to yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. That's what the Bible is telling you to do. It's telling you to go ahead and start taking that journey in Christ. That means I can't pay attention to the stupid stuff he's doing. I can't pay attention to the stupid stuff he's saying. I just have to go on his journey of pursuing the most high God. I got to make him number one over my life, over my preferences, over my opinion, over my desires. I have to make him the head of my life over what people think about me. I have to make him first in my life. And in that pursuit, I'm going to slowly die to myself. He will become a widow if he don't die to himself. He'll become a widow. Now, in that, what happens is, this is why God said, if the unbeliever want to depart, let him depart. Why did God say that? God said, when with the behavior. But then God said, if the unbeliever want to depart, let him depart. See, because the reason I want to share that is because a lot of times we think that the behavior, we almost treat it like witchcraft. Okay, so you're telling me if I pray and I don't cuss him out when he get on my nerves, if I do all of that, I can keep him and he'll say safe. In many cases, that can happen. But God doesn't infringe upon his will. What happens in that is James 4, 7 comes in. 
Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That means that people that got devil in them, they'll flee from you. Either that or they will submit to God. You will have to win them with your behavior. So in that, you're becoming the embodiment of Christ in the house. There's a huge possibility that he'll look at you and say, you know what? All this crazy stuff I did, you have not, you've done nothing but demonstrated Christ to me. I love and appreciate you for that. You know, um, I, I want this God. He starts coming to church with you. That could happen. Then again, James 4, 7 can happen. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you keep dying to yourself, you will become unsexy to that man or woman. You'll become unsexy to that person. I'm going to tell you right now, because that demon in them is attracted to your, your, your living flesh. That demon is going to become a widow when that flesh dies. It ate up everything in the garden. Because you done sat up here and now you're no longer replanting the fruits of adultery, fornication. You're not planting those fruits again. So you're killing all of the demon food. You're killing all the demon food. So that demon in that person is no longer getting fed, which is why he's going to keep triggering you or she's going to keep triggering you. They're going to keep doing everything in their power to, to replant those fruits in you. But you know what you have to do? You have to overcome them by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You got to keep on submitting to God and surrendering to God. Now, that person... Again, can be one, but then there is a situation, there is a case, there are scenarios, there are instances where that person can get up and say, I want nothing to do with this. I know I want I don't like the woman she's become. I don't like the man he's become. I don't like this person. She don't fight back. She don't, you know, she ain't into all that freaky stuff, you know, and when we first got back, you know, when we were together in the beginning, you know, she was like to watch porn with me. She let me call her all these different women names. She let me do all that stuff. Man, she was a but now. She didn't turn to a church later. Ugh. Ugh. Because he has a negative connotation of a church woman. He doesn't understand that when it comes to a Christian woman, Christian what? He doesn't understand. I, I, I don't know who it was I heard. They say Christian women have more babies than anybody. But he has a negative connotation of a Christian woman. A Christian woman. So he thinks that the best women are those freaks out there who got all these soul ties with all these different dudes. Them be the good ones. And that's what he's attracted to. So long story short, nine times out of ten, he will leave. Reality check. Now, God said, if the unbeliever wants to leave, if the unbeliever wants to depart, he gave a set of instructions. Let him depart. You got to hear this. It's dangerous to hold on to somebody who's trying to get away from you. Okay. This is how people, this is how people lose their lives. This is how people lose their minds. It's dangerous to chase, beg, and try to hold on to somebody that's trying to get away from you. It is a dangerous thing. I remember when my ex was packing up the leave, I heard the Lord clear. He says, sit down and don't say anything. And my ex is walking around the house. He's packing his bags and he's doing all that. He's going off. He's talking. And he says, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. And I heard the Lord, the Lord clear as day. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. I had to sit there and keep typing in that book I was typing. He's going off. He's talking noise. He's doing everything. He's trying to trigger me or what have you. He's pushing doorbells. He's pushing. And I could, I had to make sure that there was nothing there to answer those doorbells. He's pushing everybody he can find. And I had to ignore him. Finally, he got to the door. The last time he said, I got all my stuff now. He stood at the door and I shared this before. You guys know how that ends. You know, he stood at the door and he stared at me and I kept staring at my computer and typing. I'm ignoring him. He kept, he, he stood there. And he said, Tiffany, this is the last of it. I'm leaving you. I said, oh, no, I ignored him. I didn't say anything. 
He said, Tiffany, did you hear what I said? I said, I'm leaving you. I said, I heard you. Lock the door behind you. Man, was I cold? Was I, was I a gangster? Did, what, did I finally find that, 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 that missing piece that everybody's looking at, looking for every woman wants to become unhurtable? Because we think that if we're unhurtable, then that nobody can hurt us anymore. No, because if you become like that, you're a cold piece of meat. And you know, at the end of the day, nobody can marry you. Not truly because you're dead. And I'm not saying dead to yourself. That means that you're dead outside the will of God because you're trying to hold on to something God don't want you to hold on to. So you have to numb yourself in order to hold on to those things because those things hurt. No, I had not become what I had become in that moment. I was just listening to God and God was shielding me because I was in his will. God was shielding me from feeling it because I was in his will. I'm literally up in there and I am, I am in a session with God, right? I'm in a set. I'm listening to God. Tell me, daughter, be quiet. Don't be moved. I'm listening to the most high God. Now, next day I'm thinking to myself, wow, this doesn't hurt. Yay. This doesn't hurt. Reality kicks in. Baby, you're going to feel it at some point. You're going to feel it at some point. And what happens is when the anointing lifts, and I'm not saying that it goes away because you're going to be anointed, but I'm saying that sometimes when you're in the presence of God, the anointing is high. And when anointing is high, yeah, man, you feel like, look at me. I'm so proud of me because I literally don't feel nothing. This dude left me yesterday. I remember the next day I get up and I, I go out for a walk in the wind. I remember it was a, I was living in Florida. It was warm outside. The wind was touching my face. Y'all, I felt like it was the perfect day. I felt like I felt the wind for the first time. I'm walking around thinking I'm free like butterflies in the wind. I'm free. This is so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was wrong. I was wrong because you know what? I was still in the anointing, right? The anointing was still high. Over the course of time, guess what? It will hurt. In a situation like that, it did. It, over the course of time, it, it slowly set in. It did. <laughs> my little G went to bed <laughs> at some point. And I won't say my G. I want to give God glory. But that stuff, I'm saying that to say, eventually, I had to feel it. Eventually, I felt the effects of it. Eventually, I had to go ahead and go through it. Now, I, I will say this. It didn't hurt as bad as I thought it would. But it did hurt. It didn't hurt as bad as I, it wasn't unbearable. I didn't feel like I was losing my mind. I knew I would have a crazy day and I'm only sharing this because I know this is couples counseling. I'm not trying to counsel anybody out of a relationship, but just in case there's somebody that's outside of a relationship, hear me when I say this, I didn't, for me, the worst part was when I was with him afraid of losing the relationship. Because I was afraid of the feelings that would come behind it. I was afraid of it being unbearable. I was afraid of that. No, it, it wasn't. But I did have, and I was aware of, the fact that I was going to have a crazy day. I was completely cognizant of that. I was reminding myself of that. Like, okay, beware of the crazy day. I was trying to get myself ready for that. 
Um, because I know, like, for example, if, 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 if somebody stabs you, you're probably not going to feel it because of adrenaline, but at some point you're going to feel it when that adrenaline, uh, goes down. That's how it is when you're in anointing or what have you. Sometimes you don't feel it because anointing is high. Uh, that's your spiritual adrenaline. But at some point, you know, it's going to kind of go down and what have you. So you're going to feel it at some point. So you want to make sure you start treating that wound. Um, but I knew that I was going to have a crazy day. I knew that I had no, uh, question about that. I knew that I was going to have that day where nothing was going to make sense. The pain was going to set in and yeah, I was going to do something, uh, crazy. Thankfully I didn't have one that I didn't have a big crazy day. Um, my crazy day consisted of me walking several miles to a hotel trying to catch this dude walking on a, on the side of a Florida freeway <laughs> in grass. It, yeah, you got to understand this is Florida. Okay. Uh, but that was my crazy. That was the extent of my crazy day, but I always warn people of the crazy day when it comes down to the crazy day. And I said this in the last recording, I think, um, not this particular lesson, but when it comes down to a crazy day, you want to always make sure that you have friends, you have people around you. You want to have a multitude of counselors and, um, you have to call them. You after you genuinely have to call, call them when that thing starts building up. Like you have to tell your friends, Hey, listen, um, I feel okay right now, but at some point I'm probably going to have a, an episode. So just be prepared. Okay. Uh, to counsel me, to pray with me or whatever you need to do. If you don't need to answer my phone, don't answer it. Cause I'm not going to obligate you to that. You know, I'm not going to measure our friendship based on the fact that you don't really want to, the, the life drained out of your house. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to call them up. And I, I've already joked about uh, my friend girl, and I talked about that in the last recording, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, but when she, I told her, I said, you're going to have a crazy day, okay? You're more than likely going to have a crazy day. I need you to call me. When this day happens, when you start overthinking, when it starts building up, this is time when you start thinking about everything you did for this dude, all this stuff you did for this joker, you start thinking about that and the pain starts setting in and the reality sets in that you really are breaking up. Like this is not just a test run. This is not just y'all mad at each other. Like this is really it. Like we're, this dude is really about to lose this relationship that day. That's the day you can feel when it's building up. When that thing starts building up, you need to call somebody. You need to call somebody. If it's the middle of the night, you need to text somebody and say, hey, I think I'm about to have an episode. I'm good right now. Don't know how long this is going to last. I just wanted to kind of put you on standby that I am feeling this uh, today. Uh, so can I ask? I just I'm asking you uh, to just pray for me and to check on me or what have you. So you do want to make sure that you're doing that. So I'm going to close this out with this. At the end of the day. Relationships are built on not just love because relationships built on love, they end, you know, because love is not enough, you know, when it comes down to it, because we have imperfect love. Respect is what keeps relationships together. Respect and honoring one another's desires and also coming into agreement and understanding that agreement sometimes is just to disagree, but to respect how another person feels. You can never dismiss a person's feelings all the while expecting them to exalt yours over theirs. Because when you get into that type of dynamic, you're asking a person to make you into their God. You're asking a person to give you a seat that you're not willing to give them. You're asking a person, hey, let me take advantage of you. Let me make a fool out of you. 
Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you can't do that to me because then I, I, I probably flip out. You can't do that in a relationship. Give people the respect that you want. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Make sure that you're communicating. You have wise counsel. You need that. Keep God first. Don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop going to church. Don't go to church less and less. Make sure you are always having open discussions with each other. And understand this. The human is ever evolving, which means that the person that you married, you know what? She's going to die to herself a little bit more. And he's going to die to himself a little bit more. And a part is a new part of that person is going to emerge which means that in a relationship, you have to constantly keep reintroducing yourself to one another over the course of time so that you can get to know the person as they are and not how they, how they were. Sometimes relationships end because you're still dating the old version of a person when they have been upgraded. Anyhow, I love you. I hope this message blessed you and God bless you.